listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes on makeuseof.com. My name is Christian Corley, and with me this week is Ben Stegner. How are you, Ben? Hello, Christian. Doing well. Welcome to February, and uh, hope it's a lovely month for you. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, I'm, I'm so to we're, speak. <laughs> we're expecting wintry weather here in the UK over the weekend, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, in this week's really useful podcast, we'll be looking at uh, Sony. Splashing the cash on a games developer following Microsoft's lead. We'll be looking at uh, the overwhelmed Wordle inventor. Facebook's cryptocurrency is uh, going. And CyberTac strikes German fuel supplies. We've also got some tips and tricks for you and some recommendations. Uh, Benjamin, you missed uh, last week's show where we were talking about... I've just got you Benjamin. I do apologize. Ben, we... That's right. I feel like I'm in, tr- I feel like I'm in trouble, but... <laughs> this once <laughs> anyway so last week uh, gavin and i discussed the uh microsoft's purchase of activision blizzard and uh we i'm i'm kind of of the opinion that sony will be like whoa you're not doing that and uh referring everything to uh, whatever monopolies commissions around the world that they could um they are uh, not alone though microsoft the sony have decided to buy destiny developer bungie although for a lot less for 3.6 billion dollars yeah, it doesn't surprise me, I guess, that Sony uh, fought back, so to speak, um, with something like that. It's kind of a funny, I mean, the obvious thing to point out is that, you know, Bungie started with Microsoft making the early Halo games, and that was like the system seller for Xbox when mm. it was new. Um, and then to have them come over is pretty interesting. Um, it kind of it kind of makes me think of the old, it, it, like in the last generation, like late PS3, early PS4 generation when it was... You know, the cross-generation games like the first Destiny launch with exclusive content on PS4 or um, when the Call of Duty games had their DLC first on Xbox 360, it kind of feels like that like petty back and forth of how can we entice people to play on our platform even though the game's on both kind of thing. Yeah, no, definitely. I would agree with that. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Sony... I mean, Sony aren't short of cash, but they probably don't have as much money as Microsoft have to spend on buying other companies i'm interested to see if they end up just spending a load of money on lots of smaller games developers and end up potentially with kind of a better value than buying activision blizzard yeah i mean there's so many different ways they could go with this well i mean there's two separate things i was thinking of first of all with this um i don't know exactly how big bungie is i'm afraid but i don't know if it'll be you know they keep destiny 2 running for years and years or Mm -hmm. if destiny 3 is in the works or what else they'll be working on um but also yeah there's a lot of like indie studios i can think of that really i guess either company could buy um but then i wonder like what's the I think both of these companies have at least preliminarily said that those exclusive titles won't, or the titles made by the companies they bought won't be exclusive to their platform. Yeah. Cause Xbox or Microsoft owning uh, Activision could mean that, you know, Overwatch 2 is a Xbox console exclusive or um, the next Crash Bandicoot game or whatever. I, I feel like, series like that that have been exclusive to one system for i haven't been exclusive to one system for so long it'd be weird to have that happen all of a sudden um i don't know yeah with indie games you know i mean obviously an indie developer would be happy to get bought out i think and get a lot of money from that but at the same time then if they if their games are restricted to a smaller audience they might not love that so yeah i received an email a couple of days ago about uh, 2022's most anticipated games and this is based on monthly worldwide average search volume. Can you guess what the most anticipated game of 2022 is? 
Um, probably either Pokemon Arceus or I'll Arceus. I'll give you a Arceus, clue. It so came yeah. out in 2013. Came out in 2013? Yeah. Um, Fort, did Fortnite come out in 2013? No. Rocket League, that was later. Um, it came out in 2013. Biggest game of this year. This shouldn't be hard. Um, I can put you out of your misery. Uh, it shouldn't be this hard, but I, uh, all right, give it, give it to me. What is it? Okay. Um, it is, um, Grand Theft Auto 5. Oh, the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Um, some, I I mean, this is probably something to do with the fact that so few people have been able to get hold of a PS5. I'm guessing. I'm just, but looking at this list, there's a hell of a lot of things on there. GTA Online, Gran Turismo, God of War, titles that are either sequels or revivals of, older game franchises in the um, most anticipated games list. Curiously, also in the most anticipated games list is the Steam Deck, which is not a game, it's a console. I'm hoping to be able to talk about that on the Really Useful Podcast when it comes along in a few months' time. So, uh, yeah, that's the uh, situation with Sony. They're uh, kind of fighting back. Uh, Bungie released a tweet which says, Bungie has limitless potential to unite friends around the world. We have found a partner in PlayStation that shares our dream and is committed to accelerating our creative vision of building generation-spanning entertainment. Our journey begins today, which was um, two days ago, uh, on January 31st they released that. So, um, yeah, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, Still in the subject of games, but uh, the mobile type that apparently everyone's playing, except me. Ben, are you playing it? Oh, yeah, you haven't played it? Yeah, I... I, there's a, a YouTuber I like who's been mostly Dr. Dorman on YouTube, but I still follow him on Twitter. And he he, I, he was the first one where I saw the squares. And I was like, what the heck is that? Yeah. Usually when stuff is trendy, I just don't really like it just for the sake that it's trendy, I guess. But I looked yeah, it up. That's and me. I, I love it's logic and it's words. So two things I love. So, yeah, I've been in, I've been enjoying playing it every day. So the inventor of word game sensation Wordle has sold it for a seven figure sum. Uh, he says that it has gotten bigger than I ever imagined. It's called Wordle. He's called Josh Wardle. I don't know how he came up with a name for the app. <laughs> um, can you Watch explain it? To, I don't understand what it is. Is I mean, is it just a word? Do you just what do you do? Yeah. So basically, have you ever? I don't know if if, if it's a game you had in uh, in the UK, but have you ever heard of the game Mastermind by chance? Mastermind is like lots of little pegs on a long board with holes in, isn't it? Right. So it's kind of like that where so every day there's a five letter word and you get six chances to guess the word. So right. whenever you make a guess, it'll highlight every letter. So if it's gray, it means the letter is not in the word at all. If it highlights the letter is yellow, it means the letter is in the word, but you have it in the wrong place. I and see. if it's green, then it is in the word and you have it in the right place. So basically through the process of elimination, you have six tries to figure out what the word is. Okay. Um, and then when, the, what's made the game go so viral, if you're not familiar with this, is that when you finish it, you can share your results. And obviously sharing a screenshot of the word would be a spoiler for anybody who hasn't played it yet. So it just shares the squares so you can see basically your breakdown of your thought process, I guess, to get the word. Right. Um, which kind of made it go viral because everyone did what I did. They saw those squares and thought, what is that? And then looked it up. So, okay. yeah, it's kind of like Mastermind in the sense that you're trying to crack the code with so many guesses. The thing about Mastermind, um, this this will not amuse you in the slightest, I'm sure, Ben, uh, or anyone else in the US. But in the UK, Mastermind is this long-running TV quiz show. Oh, uh, okay. And um, what happens is there's four contestants, and they, ha- they have to do a round on general knowledge and one on their specialist subject. 
and the questions are quite fast at them and they're sat in a big black chair in a darkened studio there's a studio audience but it's darkened and there's a light on them so it's a bit like an interrogation uh, when the mastermind game came out in probably the 1970s um, people would look at it and think, what the hell is this what's it got to do with mastermind no one knew what it was so what happens is this old mastermind game um, basically turns up at kind of uh, car boot sales and church fates and free sales and things like that and it like costs 10p or whatever no one knows what it no one understands its relevance to anything other than it being a bit of a puzzle game and nothing to do with mastermind the tv show that that is i think that's really funny i, I, I don't know if we've talked about this but i've definitely noted it before with, with video games where they have to change the name of it overseas because it, it interferes with something yeah so it is funny where we would never that wouldn't ever happen to us, but then like a big show like that, you would automatically assume that if you see the game, it's related to the the, yeah, the yeah. game show. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That's like another example that just always comes to mind. So there's a, the, the game Star Fox 64. That, hmm. that was a sequel to the original Star Fox here. That was called Lilat Wars in Europe because I think there's there was oh. a German company called Star Vox V O X, right. and they were worried that it would be too close to the name, so they yeah. just changed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love uh, stuff like that. Yeah, well, in the UK, um, you know Top Cat? The cartoon character? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the UK, <laughs> this is ridiculous. In the UK, it was renamed Boss Cat for TV listings. And when they when they announced it, it would be because Top Cat's doing some sort of Officer Dibble in the next episode of Boss Cat. But the, the titles would say Top Cat, and the theme tune was the same theme tune. But it was renamed because there was a cat food called Top Cat. And oh. it was on BBC TV, and the BBC because it's paid for by a uh, the the license fee, the monthly um, payment. They're not allowed to advertise commercial products on BBC, oh, so they okay. had to rename it. Too it. close to the real yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, back to Wordle Wardle. Uh, Josh Wardle uh, says it has been incredible to watch a game bring so much joy to so many, and I feel so grateful for the personal stories some of you have shared with me, from Wordle uniting distant family members to provoking friendly rivalries to supporting medical recoveries. On the flip side, I'd be lying if I said this hasn't been a little overwhelming. After all, I am just one person, and it is important to me that as Wordle grows, it continues to provide a great experience to everyone. Um, so he's um sold it to the new york times and that's pretty much a rags to riches isn't the right word but like a you know the classic story like you it, it feels very something that also the site said this it feels very like early internet to me like just some fun little game that people discovered and just kind of naturally went viral yeah um you know no ads no like signing up or any of that nonsense it's just very simple fun five minutes a day and then you can't play till the next day so it's very calming in a simple way which which is i think why so many people love it yeah definitely um so that's nice i might try it out i'm a bit busy i'm playing uh the um 2020 re-release of uh, Turrican on the Nintendo Switch at the moment, so that's probably taking up most of my gaming time. Uh, Facebook's funded cryptocurrency DM is being wound down. The DM Association, which runs the project, announced the sale of assets of the cryptocurrency venture to Silvergate Capital Corporation for $182 million. Uh, it was originally launched as Libra in 2019, and uh, it got they got into a bit of trouble with uh, policymakers and... Uh, it's just been stuck. It's been quagmired. Uh, dialogue with federal regulators fell through, and as a result, the best path forward was to sell DM Group's 
assets. I do. I'll be honest. I'd completely forgotten that Facebook had a cryptocurrency. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I forgot about the name Libra does ring a bell. Yeah. I, I remember hearing that like whispers of that when it was new, but I don't think I've ever heard the DM name to be honest. That was unbeknownst to me. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's um, I mean, it's clearly something it's one of those things that it's like with this current thing with, uh, you know, a few years ago, tech companies were getting into cryptocurrencies because, oh, this is the next big thing. People are putting money into cryptocurrencies. We want to set up our own cryptocurrency. This year, it's NFTs. You know, there's all these companies setting up NFTs, uh, launching NFTs this week, um, this month. And and lots of people saying, we're not interested. Just don't do that. Yeah, I've actually seen this as a slight tangent on the topic of like NFTs popping up everywhere. Um, I follow a couple of voice actors for video games on Twitter and stuff, just the ones that I really like. And there's been a bit of drama, I guess, over the last couple of weeks where a couple of like big name voice actors were starting to show for NFTs that seem kind of shady. Um, I think there was some one of the a big indie publisher. Um, I forget the, which one it was like was promoting same thing like promoting NFTs and a bunch of people were saying we want nothing to do with this. So it seems like it's going from zero to a hundred in, in the uh, gaming sphere too, whether people want it or not. Yeah. It's uh, maybe, I don't know. I, I just think maybe these companies will be better off sticking to what they do well rather than, and then again, on the other hand, as it with it, with being Facebook slash uh, meta, maybe I'd rather they were messing around with, uh, cryptocurrencies and nfts and messing around with my personal data but you know there you go um we talked about uh cyber attacks a couple of weeks ago and germany's uh, major fuel supplier oil tanking deutschland gmbh and co kg stores and transports oil vehicle fuels and other petroleum cr- products for companies like shell they discovered on saturday just gone that they had been hacked now, at the moment, there's no details, and as far as we can tell, no one has claimed it. And it's not even certain whether it is a straightforward hack or a disruption or a, or a uh, ransomware attack. But um, it just I think it just highlights again that th- these things are taking place quite a lot. Um, they were left operating at a limited capacity uh, following the cyber attack, which disrupted their IT systems. And that's the most information that they are giving. Yeah, I guess maybe they're just not really wanting to disclose any more details until no. they know, or they maybe they just don't know at all. I mean, that, some of those attacks last year, early reports, right, said that it was something and then it wasn't. Um, exactly, yeah. I think there was one that was claimed to be ransomware and it was really just like a, an error that shut something down. So hopefully this year does not continue the trend of last year of all those ransomware attacks because it felt like every month there was some new, like, meltdown critical level breach yeah oil tanking has been active in tank storage logistics since 1972 so they are one of the largest independent operators of tank terminals for oils gases and chemicals worldwide and looking at the photo of uh, one of their installations i'm put in mind of how similar it looks to the installations on my doorstep and it's, it's just made me realize how close i am to an industrial cyber attack potentially causing havoc. Best not to think about that too much, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's move on. We will carry on this really useful podcast with a look at eBay 
scams. I think by this stage, if you don't know that there are scams on eBay, you should probably not be using eBay at all um, until you've read up on it a little bit. If that is the case, or if you just want to refresh it, we are here with some information that may put, not exactly put your mind at rest, but um, give you plenty of things to consider and think about with eBay. Now, this is stuff that we have looked at before. Um, we've revised it slightly, which is uh, why we are discussing it again. Uh, there are all sorts of uh, things that could happen on eBay. You could be very lucky and successfully purchase something without anything going wrong at all. And I suppose that is the majority of transactions on eBay. But they don't all work out that way, do they, Ben? No, yeah. So most of the time, I've bought some stuff on eBay. Generally, just use Buy It Now to grab a used game or some like trinket I need that I can't find elsewhere. Um, and generally, it goes fine, but there are some to look out for. Um, so we can go through the list here, discuss some of these. So generally, if you're buying on eBay, you're usually okay because eBay's policies tend to side with the purchaser, but you still got to be careful. Um, number one, so the number one scam is uh, seller running off with your money. So most of the time, um, eBay has a money back guarantee that reco that covers you if the seller, um, you know, sends you a broken item or something or they broke their promise of what they were sending you. Mm. But there are some categories to be aware of on eBay that don't include this guarantee. Um, typically, it's really expensive stuff like vehicles, um, services, websites for sale, um, business equipment, and now digital content, NFTs. So none of that's protected. So if you're buying something like that, it's extra important to make sure that you trust the seller. Um, have you ever bought a vehicle on eBay, Christian? <laughs> yes. Really? Yes, I have. Oh, okay. Um, back in 2011, uh, my wife gave, gave birth to twins, and we had a tiny little Nissan Micra, which is basically a two-door hatchback. And we couldn't, it wasn't even big enough to put the, or we could get the pram in the back, but we had to do it in a very certain way into the boot, and we couldn't get anything else in the car. So I bought a Vauxhall Zafira, which is a seven-door MPV, uh, on eBay for about eight hundred pounds, and it was a proper old banger. I I don't think I've ever. If I know anyone else that's bought a car on eBay, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know that they did. So that's that's cool. I didn't. I was kind of joking because I think it's funny how you can buy like boats on eBay. But yeah, uh, how about that? Okay. Yeah, it was um, it was nearby as well, so I didn't have to go far for it. It was like a private seller as well. It wasn't uh, a, a dealer. Okay. Yeah. So it was more like using Craigslist or something than yeah. like. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so the second one, uh, if, if you're buying uh, a potential scam is that the seller ships the item with an incorrect name. So the way that this works is um, they ship you the package to your address, but they intentionally put the wrong name on the package. So when you get your address, but the wrong name and you think it's for someone else, so you return it. Um, what happens is that this marks your package as refused or returned. And because that voids the eBay money back guarantee, um, you can't re request a return for the item, but you've already paid for it for them to ship it to you. So um, basically the way around that one is if you're expecting a package and the tracking number says it's delivered and you have a package with you, probably best to open it and make sure that you've got what you ordered. Um, if not, you can always check with the seller. Yeah. Um, then the third one isn't so much of a scam as it is just kind of a scummy practice that people do. Um, uh, listings for an empty box. So this is common, like right now, for example, if you're trying to find a PS5 or sometimes when you're trying to buy like an older video game that's a little bit expensive, 
people will have a listing where it'll say like this one here, um, game box and manual only, or just the title of it with no game. And if you don't notice that you might think, Oh, that's a great deal for that game. I haven't seen it that low. And then you buy it and you're buying the case and the manual. So, um, make sure that it's, you, you double check the wording that you're not just buying a box. Cause that would be unfortunate. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the thing that you should always do is check through that description very carefully before you commit to, uh, even bidding of mind buying. Right. Because you might not, you know, for example, say you're bidding on like a MacBook, you want to make sure you know what generation it is so that you don't think it's the newest one and it's actually five years old. So they might, they might not phrase that very well. Okay, so let's look at some of these seller scams. So these are more more uh, of a risk because, like we said, eBay tends to side with the buyer, so you have to protect yourself from these. Um, a common scam on eBay and elsewhere is when the buyer offers to overpay. So this is where you have an item listed for $300, and they tell you, I'll send you $500. Um, this, this, the scam here is that they send you usually like a check that's no good, um, and then they, they say, oh, whoops, I sent you too much money. Can you refund me the money? Um, and by the time you realize the check balanced, you sent them $200 to make up the difference, quote unquote, but you're sending them your real money when they sent you a, pho uh, a phony check that's just going to bounce. Similarly to this, a common eBay scam is when the buyer wants to settle outside of eBay. Yeah. eBay's policies dictate that you have to do everything through their systems. So if someone ever tells you they want to settle it, um, you know, they'll just send you the money on PayPal or can, can we talk on WhatsApp or whatever. Never do that because you have no protection from eBay if you get scammed. And that's usually a sign that someone does want to scam you too. Yeah. A couple more here. So these are related to some of the shipping. The buyer can claim that you shipped an empty box. When this happens, the buyer would eBay would force a return of the item. The person would keep what you sent them and then they ship you back the empty box. Um, so the best way to combat this and some of these other scams too is to take as much photographic proof as you can. So when someone buys something from you, take take pictures showing that you put the item in the package and that you shipped it on whatever day. Um, if you have metadata on, on your on the photos that shows the location, the time, that's even better. Um, if you can prove that you put those items in that box, the buyer can't claim that you shipped them an empty box because you have proof that you didn't do that. Another insider tip, I guess, if you if you didn't have pictures, you could ask the post office to retrieve the weight information. Um, and if you're shipping something that's not super light, it should prove that the package wasn't empty when you sent it. Yeah, if if you can get that info from the post office, but it should be, you know, that obviously if you're shipping like a laptop, that's not going to be an empty box's weight. So another one is when they they threaten a refund with a broken replica. So this would be something where you're selling maybe like an iPhone or an item that's common and, but in high demand. Um, they purchase the item from you, but you don't realize that they have a broken one that's the same. So when you ship the good item to them, they claim that you sent a broken one and then they do a refund. And then they'll send the broken one back to you and keep your uh, – the one that actually works and then you'll be out the money. So um, in addition to taking pictures, another good way to combat this is to save for anything that has like a serial number or anything like that. Always save that when you send it. So if anyone tries to do this, you can prove the device that you sent had this serial number and it's not the same as the one they're trying to scam you with. That's about it. Another general one is a chargeback. So that's like a forced refund. Um, if someone asks for a refund, it's best to, use, to give it to them because otherwise you have to eat the chargeback fee, which is typically $20 or so. Um, so they could, someone could do this if they claim you've done something wrong. So it's PayPal's uh, 
user agreement does protect you from these chargebacks. Um, so if, if they're frivolous, you can, you're protected against them. But um, if someone's threatening you with one, then it's usually better just to refund them. And then of course, phishing is the last one. Be yeah. careful never to fall for a fake email claiming to be from eBay, because that's, that's a scam that anyone can fall for no matter what you use the site for. Absolutely right. Everything Ben has just told you, you'll find uh, not only on Make Use of, but also on YouTube, because we've got a video to accompany that article. Everything that we discuss in this week's show, you will find in the show notes. Um, let us move on to our recommendations for this week. Uh, we've both... Uh, this is a section of the show where we um, recall something that's happened in the past week uh, re related to the digital world that you may be interested in knowing a bit more about. And then you can uh, either ignore us, laugh at us, or go off and do your own thing. It really doesn't matter because we can't hear you. Uh, who's going first, myself or you, Ben? Oh, you go first. Okay. It's always me first on this feature. Um, so, last week, I went out for a drive with my family to a nearby town called Whitby, which you may have heard of. Uh, it's in the northeast of England, North Yorkshire coast. Uh, it plays a significant part in the story of Bram Stoker's Dracula because it's where the ship uh, runs aground and uh, the, 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 the chap from uh, Transylvania escapes, even though he's assumed to be dead at this point. Obviously he's not because he's, he's a vampire. And so um, Whitby, <laughs> vampire land, no, Whitby isn't too far from me. It's about 20 miles away. And the interesting thing about Whippy is that it's actually quite remote. Although it's well known, it's quite remote. It is an hour by road from all of the major roads in the UK. It's also an hour by train from the main railway stations in the UK, uh, York and Middlesbrough slash Darlington. It's an hour by train, it's an hour by road. So it is kind of remote. So I suppose I shouldn't have been that surprised by what I found. Um, so we went there because it's a good place to get fish and chips. There are plenty of places you can get fish and chips, but this is a particularly good place. And walking along, heading back to the car, we decided to, we just finished the fish and chips. And I had a deep fried battered haddock, if you're interested. And we passed an amusement arcade. Popped in. Kids had a bit of pocket money to spend on the two penny shovey machines. And then at the back, I saw it. Afterburner Climax arcade machine actually working. Afterburner Climax, um, I think, was uh, released on the uh, PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 in about 2008 or 9. Um, but uh, this is the first time I'd seen the actual arcade version of Afterburner Climax. And back in the day, a long, long time ago, like 30 years ago, yeah, 30 years ago, um, there was an original Afterburner arcade machine uh, in my hometown. And this one, one, you know, one of them would work, one of them was broken, and there'd be the stand-up one. And I hadn't played Afterburner for years, so I got on it. And I had my daughter film me playing Afterburner Climax. And I put about two quid in it, and I had an absolutely fantastic time. And now, obviously, you can't go out and play Afterburner Climax unless you're in Whitby, um, or happen to be visiting Whitby. But I think the what what my recommendation is go out and find an old arcade machine is basically it. Yeah, I, I that's not, I like the idea of like stumbling across an old treasure trove of, of arcade machines like that, like games you didn't even know 
existed or forgot about or yeah. haven't played for decades or whatever. Um, I've never played Afterburner, but I just looked up a, a clip of it, and it looks fun. It looks like the kind of game that'd be a great fit for an arcade cabinet that has like the immersive seat and all that. It kind of looks like we were talking about Star Fox earlier, which I love yeah. that game. It kind of almost looks like a fast, like a fast-paced Star Fox, um, like way faster. But yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. I uh, there's I feel like arcades are there's a couple I can think of, but and they have there's one at an amusement park near me that has a, a decent amount of games, but um, there's so many I'd like to try because arcades are kind of an era that I haven't had much experience with personally. So there's a lot to discover there. Absolutely. So what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation this week is a YouTube channel. So it's not super techie, but it's still kind of fun, I think, if you have the same interest as me. Um, it's a YouTube channel called JJ McCullough, who is a YouTuber from uh, the Vancouver, Canada area. Um, he does a bunch of videos about mainly like culture. Um, so some of the ones I've enjoyed of his recently are about the uh, culture of food. So he talked about he did a video of um, like faux authentic cultural traditions, he called them, which is like things in the West that we're told are traditions elsewhere that really aren't um, right. like how fortune cookies aren't Chinese or things like that. Um, and then he also did a video on what other countries are sold as American products, which I thought was interesting being an American, obviously I thought it was funny to see what countries across the world market, um, to American sensibilities. Yeah. Um, a little more, a little closer to tech. Um, one of his recent videos is about, uh, visual anachronisms, which is symbols that we use mainly in like UIs that are totally outdated. Like the fact that the floppy disk is used for save, even though floppy disks haven't been used for however long, or <laughs> the phone icon on iPhone still looks like an old, like pick it up off the wall phone, which I thought was interesting. So, yeah, if you enjoy any kind of like cultural commentary or just like looking at why something is the way it is. He also did a video recently about how um, how the metric the metric system has had like half at adoptation in Canada, in the UK and to a lesser extent, the US. I learned a couple of things I didn't know about how the countries use the, uh, the the metric and imperial systems. So, yeah, if you like stuff like that, he's a good channel to check out. Well, nice one. Yeah, we'll have a look at that. And as mentioned earlier, everything discussed in this really useful podcast you'll find in the show notes including a video of me playing afterburner climax we will be back with a new really useful podcast next week until then it's goodbye from us